helping you make the most of your money. It's time for Talk Money. Now, here's your host, Jim Shoemaker. Well, good morning. If you're looking for advice on topics like purchasing a home and investing in your 401k or buying the right insurance or the correct amount, or you're just looking for tips on how to get a jump start on your savings account, whether you're a baby boomer or a millennial, it doesn't seem to matter. A common concern in most households is money. This program's for you. We just talk about money, and I'm Jim Shoemaker, and welcome to today's program. This is Talk Money. Well, we have a guest with us today, a frequent guest of ours. He always does a great job, and it's time to get an update, a mid-year kind of check-it-out type thing of the economy. So my guest, Rusty Leonard, is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners. And Rusty, it's always a great pleasure to welcome you to the program, sir. Well, thank you. It's always a great pleasure to be here. Well, good. It's great to talk with you because I've just got a ton of questions and a lot of people are all listening because they want to know, what does Rusty think about what's going on? This whole idea of COVID-19, it's dominating everything that we see that's going on in the world right now. You hear some places like Sweden and maybe some of the northern part of EU, it seems to be doing better. But Boy, we're not. We just seem to be dragging it down further and further. So give us an update on what you see as far as the the virus, what's happening, and what do you expect next? That's what I'm interested to hear. Sure. Well, first, just where we're at at the moment, uh, things aren't great, uh, but they're, you know, we have obviously a, a widespread uh, impact across the nation at this stage of the game. Initially, it was just kind of in the Northeast, uh, but now it's spreading out throughout uh, the nation. But even on that front, things are slightly improving. Uh, and I think we'll probably see over the next few weeks, Texas, Florida, Arizona, maybe even California will probably uh, all be getting much better, that the, the number of cases being reported will continue to decline as we've already started to see. Uh, the number of hospitalizations will decline. You know, things will be moving in the right direction. And that just basically reflects the fact that they you know, we had some reopenings of economies. Well, you know, a lot of those places we had what we refer to as reclosings. So they close things down, and the the more you close things down, the less chance the virus has to spread. And uh, the virus really doesn't care much about anything other than spreading. And if we get we put our guard down, it'll continue to spread. So, so that's. Uh, but I do think we will see some positives there. On the negative side, we'll, we'll probably start to see in the in the mid south uh, where you are, and uh, maybe a little north of you. It uh, looks like uh, things are trending negatively there. So unless there's some you know, quick actions taken by the government officials in, in kind of the Mid-South regions, Ohio, and some other uh, locations around the country, we may see them become the new hotspots. So uh, we're not out of the woods on this thing by any stretch of the imagination, but there, I think the, the recent flare-up is starting to die down. You know, I think you're right. Here in the Mid-South, we have had that tick up. And, and again, I've been talking to a lot of people. In fact, I just recently was talking to a mayor of a city, and I'll kind of be nice and not mention his name. But um, reality, he said, you know, there's we're reporting a certain number of deaths in our city. And uh, he challenged the number. He was very open to saying, I know of the number that five or six or ever how many it was, 
didn't die of COVID-19. Do you think, Rusty, that's happening today? I mean, he was adamant. And this is a very respectable, um, not party not party affiliated. This is an honest, solid Christian man that just basically said, I don't agree with the numbers. What's your take on that? Oh, yeah, the numbers are horrible. <laughs> right across the world, they're bad. And, uh, they're, and particularly in the United States, one of the great strengths we have in the United States is that we're very decentralized from a governmental standpoint. One of the great weaknesses we have is that we're very decentralized from a governmental <laughs> standpoint. And so we get all kinds of different approaches being used for counting these numbers. And uh, so they're just not comparable. And they're just not doing a great job in many cases. And so, yes, I agree with them. The death rate is overstated. I have chosen to focus on hospitalizations. The case numbers, you know, the number of cases each day that they that everybody always talks about, those numbers are totally wrong and have been they're getting better, but they, you know, they from the beginning they've been just dead wrong and undercounting the number of cases by a dramatic amount. Uh, so the one thing I think you can count on the best, even that's not perfect, is hospitalizations. But not every state even reports hospitalizations. So those numbers are flawed as well. Well, when you talk about hospitalizations, let's talk about vaccines. I, I read recently there's 197 COVID-19 pandemic vaccines that are currently in the development stage. Now, this is according to the Milken Institute, and they're all waiting to get FDA approval is the market favorable? I mean, today we see one particular stock in the market this week is going to be moving up because of some possibilities of some things happening with the federal government. Your take as far as, I mean, are we seeing vaccines and um, is it affecting how we think about the market? Yeah, uh, there has been a lot of progress on the vaccine front. Uh, 197 are not going to make it to the uh, finish line. Uh, so let's uh, just throw that number out. But there are a few leaders right now. And so that's that's encouraging. But what people really need to re- recognize is that we are early, early, early in this game. The only results that we've seen that have been published so far are for just, I think, three different vaccine makers. Uh, two of those are uh, U.S. or one's U.S., one's U.K. based and one's uh, Chinese based. Two of them are phase one results. Uh, which is just too early to get too excited about anything. If it was any other drug company uh, that had phase one results, I would say, well, that's interesting, but, you know, I'm not going to put a lot of value on that. It's just too early in the testing process. They have to get through phase two and three first. Uh, Also, along those lines, one of those leaders, uh, I believe it's the University of Oxford uh, vaccine, which seems to be the, the hot ticket at the moment and as far as the market's concerned, uh, the leader of the pack, so to speak, uh, apparently utilizes uh, embryos, you know, aborted embryos to help produce their vaccine. So that's going to cause a dilemma, a moral dilemma for us Christian folks who are pro-life. Uh, I'm still looking into that, but that's uh, an issue. But the, the main issue is that it's way too early and that there are very um, knowledgeable people in the drug industry who think that this effort to get these vaccines produced so quickly is going to fail. And then there's a second point that it may be that vaccines are not even useful uh, should they even be successful because the antibodies that are created in the body for the COVID virus seem to deteriorate very quickly. So you might get a vaccine. It may produce the antibodies that you need and the T-cell response you need, but two months later it may be gone. And so then you need another vaccine and then another vaccine. And then there's some safety issues from taking that many vaccines. So we have some pretty big hurdles yet to jump. And the market is overreacting at times to the announcements of vaccine progress when it's just so way too early to, to jump up and down about with excitement about it. 
I think that's a key, and I want to ask you about that in a minute. But before I do that, Rusty, I, I respect how you think, and I know you're an analytical type person. So I, I really kind of want this from, you know, philosophically, okay? So I'm stepping out of the mm-hmm. nine dots of money. I want to hear it from a standpoint <laughs> of, you know, if I can lock you into a room and you put you in and say, okay, when you come out of the room, you got one hour, and I want you to kind of tell me if you could work some kind of a solution, if you could say, okay, here's what I would prefer us doing, what would you tell me? What would you say? If I was going to be the guy, I get to make the decision, and I get to say, Rusty said, and I go do it. What would Rusty say? By the way, that's not going to well, happen. We, Just let you know that. Right. <laughs> but I want to hear it. Well, we, we can uh, speculate. One of the – well, I won't go into that. But the um, – <laughs> the, one of the, the – ways in which you could approach this is say, okay, you know, this virus is just, you know, a super spreader. It just wants to spread. We can't stop it. Vaccines may not work. The antibodies, like I just said, may not last. Uh, so the best solution under those circumstances would be kind of the silver bullet drug that even if you catch it, you can take this drug and it'll keep you alive and help you heal up from it much, much more quickly. And there are several drugs that are, you know, moving in that direction that have already been discovered. And that's one of the reasons why the death rate has fallen so much, because doctors now have some drugs that they can utilize that help some people. But what we really need is a drug that helps anybody who gets it, right? So that if you could take something like hydroxychloroquine, you know, we talked about earlier, uh, that hasn't worked out. It hasn't been the silver bullet, but something of that nature, which is a drug that's already been approved, is known to be safe, is cheap. Everybody can gain access to it pretty quickly. That's the silver bullet that we're looking for. And that uh, so that would be that even if you caught the, the virus, you know, you can put it out of commission pretty quickly. You know, there's a lot of talk about that happening in a, in a particular clinic in Dallas that or Midland, actually, Texas, that 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 they're working through that. And they've had great success with that. Doesn't get a lot of press. They're working on that. But, you know, again, you and I both know new drugs cost money and make a lot of money. Uh, and that's yep. that's one of the biggest issues. If you have an approved drug that's safe and been around for 20, 30 years, that doesn't seem to get so as much excitement. And again, we just want a drug that is going to be get the results that we want. Cure people when they're sick, keep people from getting sick. Let me ask you this question, because I think about this a lot, because it affects an enormous number of people. In fact, I think, and as I read there recently, there's of the five point million renters in New York City, they're not going to make their monthly payment. It's just just 25% of that 5.4 million renters just not going to be able to do it. So with the federal moratorium, that's going to present a lot of problems just because it's trickling down from there. If you could say to me the trends of not being able to make their housing payments, their rental payments, or what do you feel that's going to do? Or that's that going to start the foreclosure domino effect and uh, people are going to be evicted from their apartments? What do you think? Yeah, early on, we were hopeful that with the government, you know, stimulus efforts that came out very, very quickly, you have to give the Trump uh, team amazing credit for how quickly they got those initial payments out and the PPP loans and all that stuff. We knew that that would buy the the country, you know, two to three months uh, of, you know, in a shutdown or near shutdown situation, uh, that those payments would, you know, allow people to stay solvent. But now we're facing a situation where uh, that solvency is now a question again. And so people may go bankrupt. They may not be able to make their housing payments. And that has a cascading effect throughout the economy. And so, you know, we have Congress trying to figure out what to do next. The numbers that they're talking about may not be enough 
And it may be that the cat's out of the bag already, that this process has already started and there's just going to be at least some degree of pain associated with people just not having the money to make the payments that they normally have to make. And so we're, particularly in big cities where it seems like the unemployment rate is north of 20% in a lot of, of the larger cities right now. So there's, there could be some real problems. So first the, the individual gets hurt, then the landlords get hurt. They don't make their payments, you know, their mortgage payments to the bank because they're Renters aren't paying them. The banks then are hurt. When the banks get hurt, then we got problems, right? So, uh, so yeah, I'm concerned about that. That we've moved from a liquidity crisis to a solvency crisis, and it's a big deal. And we need to keep an eye on it. That's uh, that is a big deal. But you know, I, I look at this. There, there's been some pretty good economic news. I mean, bottom line is retail sales. You know, did snap back. Last time we were talking, it snapped back. We talked about the fact the greatest, best month ever. Yeah, but it came from right. the worst month ever, too. So right. but the reality is, <clears throat> do you think and, and do you think that this is something that when we see a good economic report, and I know this, you know this, we talk about this a lot, the market seems to drag the economy with it as it begins to rebound and, and seems to be doing better are we seeing that improvement in the economy, or are we just waiting for this risk that's really in the economy to eventually create a bigger problem later on this year? Well, we look at uh, what are known as high-frequency economic reports, so they come out daily kind of thing, so you're getting a real pulse of the, of the economy. And those reports are not looking as great as the retail sales number, right? Uh, the retail, so that was great. There was a lot of money in people's pockets because of all the government stimulus. So they went out and spent it as soon as they, as soon as they get out of their house and get into a store to do so. And that caused the retail sales number to look pretty good. But there's a lot of other numbers that don't look very good at all. And um, so we, we're seeing those, those other numbers rolling over. They had been on an improving trend. And then since mid-June, uh, you're seeing a lot of these numbers roll over, particularly on the employment front. We continue to have high levels of unemployment claims. And uh, I think what we're losing now are good jobs, you know, good middle-class jobs. We initially were losing uh, jobs in the airline industry and the restaurants that are, you know, part-time or you know, low-paying jobs. Now we're starting to see larger companies laying off people who make a pretty good salary. And then that uh, is a concern. So we need to see those high-frequency economic reports start to turn higher. Right now, they're they're heading slightly lower. They're not falling off the edge of the, of the cliff, but they're not moving in the right direction. But Rusty, let me tell our listeners, this is Rusty Leonard. He is the founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners and a frequent guest of ours, always does a great job for us. And Rusty, I so much appreciate that you, you guide us through what's going on. You've talked about vaccines. You've talked about the virus, the economy, retail sales. Do you think, and you say this, I hear this, I kind of hear it underlying, that the market may just have outrun itself and and we're kind of, for our listeners, I want us to, I'm not asking for a prediction, but I kind of said, what do you anticipate at the end of the year? But from Rusty Leonard's chair, here you are as an investor, you're managing enormous amounts of money for your clients and you're doing this on a day-to-day basis. Do you think the market's outrun the headlights? Do you think we're just a little bit ahead? Or is the Fed going to have to continue to, is, I guess what I'm trying to say is, this a Fed market, you know, where it's been stim- the stimulus is there, or is it really one that the economy is going to do better and it will be better? Should we be concerned as investors? That's a whole lot to ask yeah, I, a question, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best. Right. The, uh, 
the the situation is clearly where the market is ahead of the economy. The economy has not recovered as much as the market has recovered, right? And particularly when you look at the big six or seven tech stocks that are out there that have moved so much, uh, those are well ahead of uh, the reality of the economy, which is still uh, trying to recover. And it's it's moving in the recovery. You know, generally speaking, we've bounced off the bottom in a reasonably significant manner. But it's like I said just now, it's that is starting to wane. And so we need another uh, another injection of, of life into the economy to justify these stock prices. And really, the the uh, tech stock prices you can't justify under any circumstances. They've just kind of they've become untethered with reality. So we're, we we have to be concerned about the market being ahead of itself and uh, and kind of due for a, a kick in the gut. Again, particularly the overpriced technology sector. All right. So I'm I'm a little cautious on that. I think the market's run ahead of the of the economy, and I should also point out that uh, Jamie Dimon, who is the CEO of the largest bank in the country, J.P. Morgan, he said uh, the word "unprecedented" gets used too often and, and usually gets abused. He says, but in this case, we do have unprecedented uncertainty. It it's, can be used accurately. He does not really have a good handle as the leading banker in the entire nation as to where this economy is going. I think we should pay attention to, to what he says and, and just be more, a little bit more cautious than perhaps the average investor has been lately. That's a great point. Don't get too jubilant in what you see. Maybe you see uh, – that's a great point. Just be uh, – we used to say this a lot in the office. Uh, we are uh, cautiously optimistic and uh, but caution is uh, is kind of the word, and uh, I appreciate right. what you're saying. I, here's the question, though, Rusty. I mean, and I enjoy asking you this, and we've been talking <laughs> about it a lot. You know where I'm going. If the right. election is coming up, we know this, and if history tells us anything about the market in the in the prior prior months of the election involving both, with well, let's talk about the Republican incumbent, President Trump. Right. What do you see? Going forward for the next 90 days, and then here's the second part, if, and boy, I tell you, this is becoming more and more a part of news, but it's, um, I have to say this, let me read you this, because I I looked this up, this is a quote, and I'm going to read it to you, then I'll tell you who said it, okay? Nothing, Nothing can now be lead which is seen in a newspaper. Truth itself becomes suspicious by being put into that polluted vehicle. I loved it. Now you know who yeah. wrote, you know who wrote that? Who said that? That's Thomas Jefferson. Like Teddy Roosevelt. Thomas yeah. Jefferson. Okay, Thomas Jefferson. Okay. All right. <laughs> so yeah. you yeah. can't believe half the stuff you write or read, but I hope people know you can believe what you and I are talking about. So what's your take? Let's just talk about it. It's an opinion. But let's talk about, number one, the next 90 days with the Republican incumbent and what's happening. And then if we have a Democratic sweep, Congress, Senate, and the presidency, what is your take? Two questions. You got it. Sure. So in the run-up, uh, if you look at history, and of course there's not a ton of history, but if you look at history, when a Republican president, president is running for re-election, if he wins his re-election, the market soars. It's the best possible scenario. Uh, if he loses his reelection, the market does terrible in the run-up to the actual election, right? So between now and November the 3rd, if Trump continues to look like he's going to lose, according to the polls, which, of course, as you pointed out, Jefferson made some interesting comments about papers and polls and such. Uh, if, if he continues to lose, then we should expect the market, based on these, you know, this historical precedent, to, uh, to be pretty sketchy between now and the election. 
Uh, now, the second part of your question was, if the Democrats do sweep, what's the historical precedent there? And the historical precedent is that in the year following the election, so in 2021, the market should do pretty well. Uh, believe it or not. Now, I don't I don't believe it, actually. I think in this particular case, the circumstances <laughs> are such that the, whatever precedent is there, that will not likely follow through because the, uh, you know, the, the, what the Democrats are, are suggesting uh, as policies are not friendly to, to investors. And so I would think that there would be a, a, a pretty nasty 2021. But the historical evidence suggests otherwise. That well, whenever of course- the Democrats... You know, you and I say past performance is never an indication of future performance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't I, like I said, I'm not I, I certainly wouldn't bet my house on that. But that is the uh, the facts in the, in the past. But every every election cycle has its own set of circumstances. And so you have to. Uh, All right. Last question. If you've been listening, this is Rusty Leonard, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners, a frequent guest of ours. And Rusty, this is a question that I, I really feel like is kind of a closing thought for you, and I really appreciate the fact that I know we, we prepared to think through this, but capitalism seems to be really under attack right now in our country. When you are starting to tear down, people are tearing down statues of Christopher Columbus. I, I just struggle with that mentality. Our founding fathers, what we're all about, Andrew Jackson, you know, that one, and New Orleans. I mean, these are great heroes. Now, I can understand that maybe there's some issues with Jackson, and man, I tell you what, there's two there that I agree with. But Christopher Columbus, I'm struggling with that one. What's wrong with 2020, and can investors live? Can we get through this? I mean, this is a big deal. I'm asking you from, from two perspectives. What's your personal thoughts, and can investors survive in this environment? Sure. Well, my personal thoughts, you know, are very close to yours. Obviously, uh, when you look around this country and you, you see what's going on, it's you know we've been very fortunate, Jim. You know, we're you know close to to each other in age, and so we've lived in this unbelievably wonderful time where capitalism basically spread around the world, pulling billions. I'm talking billions of people out of poverty. Now, is capitalism perfect? Absolutely not. It has problems, right? There are there are inequities, there are issues that you need to work to try to resolve those. But it's the best system that's out there. And if you choose any other system, you're going to get worse results. And so, uh, obviously, I'm chagrined by the attitude of many of the young people who just seem to think that capitalism is this terrible thing, and they really just don't know the facts. If they knew the facts, they would see it otherwise, and they would just try to improve capitalism versus trying to tear it down. So that's that's my, my thought on that. As far as investors prospering in this environment, uh, it's pretty hard to see. Obviously, the, the you know if you're going to tear capitalism down, the, the markets are a reflection of capitalism. So to the extent that uh, the efforts to tear capitalism apart would be successful, that would clearly be bad for markets. I don't think they will be successful. Uh, I think this is, uh, you know, the press uh, highlights what's going on in, say, Portland, Oregon. But that's not going on in Poughkeepsie, right? I mean, it's not going on in most places. Right. There's some lunatics that you know run the asylum out in certain places. But it, it, when they show that video of protesters, you know, attacking things and whatever, it's not as widespread as it seems. It's a very, it's a much smaller percentage of the population that has these beliefs, and uh, a much larger percentage uh, does not. Uh, so, but we are, you know, there is, is some danger, so we should keep an eye on it. But I, I have. I believe in the United States of America. I think that we'll pull out of this. I think the Lord will raise up godly leaders in all facets of society, and we'll pull ourselves out of this thing and uh, and get back on, on track. And I think that, in the end, will be very prosperous for investors. 
But uh, in, the, in the interim, interim, it may be a little dicey. And a lot of prayer. That's what we need to be doing. No kidding. Indeed. All right, brother. Thank you so much. It's Rusty Leonard, founder and CEO of Stewardship Partners. Rusty, thank you so much again. Have a blessed day and be safe, my friend. And you as well, and all your listeners, too. Okay, thank you, sir. Well, here it is. Nothing can now be believed which is seen in a newspaper. Truth itself becomes suspicious by being put into that polluted vehicle. Thomas Jefferson. I loved it. I thought it was great. Be with us. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I got a guy coming up. We're going to talk about facts you want to know, you must know, when it comes to doing your retirement plan and understanding Social Security. Ted Miner will be with me in just a minute. Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is Talk Money. Podcasts of Talk Money are available in the iTunes store. Just search Shoemaker Financial. We'll be right back with more Talk Money after this. Jim Shoemaker and Ted Miner are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Security and Financial Services, Inc. Securities dealer. Member FNIRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated. Neither Security and Financial Services, Inc. nor Shoemaker Financial are affiliated with Rusty Leonard or Stewardship Partners Investment Council, Inc. The views and opinions expressed are those of Rusty Leonard only and have not been presented on behalf of or endorsed by Security and Financial Services, Inc. or Shoemaker Financial. And now back to Talk Money with your host, Jim Shoemaker. And welcome back. What a program with Rusty Leonard gave us a tremendous amount of insight of what's going on in the market. What about the election? He helped us through that. And bottom line is the the attack on capitalism. And uh, I think he pretty much explained that to us, that uh, that would be not good. And I think that's something we need to be educating people that seem to be thinking that it's uh, time for us to make an economic change in this country, that that would not be the thing to do. And I think I think it's because we just don't know the history. And uh, maybe this program will help do that. I know this station does that to help you get some type of a understanding of the history of our country. We have a lot of great history. The guy that I'm about to introduce has got a lot of great history. I mean, he's a old guy, you know, been around for our age. He's No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Ted, welcome to the program. Ted Miner, Shoemaker Financial. He is a certified, listen, a retirement income certified professional, and I am excited about what he's going to talk about, facts that we need to know about Social Security. Welcome to the program, Ted. Well, Jim, it's great to be here. <laughs> I'm sorry to give you a hard time. <laughs> I actually was having a good time. <laughs> I'm not that old. <laughs> no, actually, you're younger than I am, so no questions. Let's stop right there. All right, Ted, as a retirement income certified professional, in your practice, you constantly are helping people through the maze, and it's tough sometimes, and I know you do this, where you're talking to them about retirement planning. Now, we talk a lot about retirement planning on the program because we get a lot of questions about it, but I want to focus today with you on the understanding the the Social Security program. It's not, it's not easy. It's complicated. You, we talk about that. So can you kind of give me, when, you're, when you first start a meeting, and the topic is Social Security. How does that topic play out when you're talking to them? Well, first of all, if the topic is not Social Security, I make it Social Security. <laughs> you make it Social Security. That's, that's where we always start in our financial planning. Uh, number one, Jim, is because uh, when a person gets ready to enter into the retirement uh, time of their life, uh, they have always lived their lives with an income stream. 
they most people have you know the most so people, the income the salary yeah so. salary yeah, there, something's going to go to the, into their bank account every week every month or twice a month or something and and social security is like that it's an income stream uh, most people cannot differentiate. Some people can, but they, they can't differentiate between, say, a an asset of, say, like a million-dollar 401K or a $60,000 income stream where they're going to have $60,000 a year for the rest of their life. They, they, they don't know how to equate those two, two things. But they do like an income stream better than they do an asset because that's the way they've always lived their life. Uh, now, some people have pensions. Some people have annuities. But almost everybody's got some Social Security. And we always start there to try to find out what is that Social Security income stream because we need to know what it is. And there are so many different uh, nuances with the Social Security system. If you're married, what your age is, and even your, your particular situation in and when you're going to retire in income, that actually will di- dictate what is the most efficient way to take your Social Security. So we start there. All right. So we start with this efficiency from the Social Security standpoint. I like to say, so that can, kind of becomes the cornerstone of anybody's retirement plan. Uh, it does. That's good. All right. Does. I get that. So you talked about having a large amount in your 401k, or maybe you've got a pension plan if you work for a big company that had a pension plan. The uniqueness of the taxation of Social Security. A lot of people don't know this or get it confused. Walk us through that that particular thought process, the uniqueness. And it is kind of unique. Well, it and it is, and it, it makes it uh, another reason for why Social Security is so important. There's, there's, there's two things, uh, taxation is one of them, that makes Social Security very important when you're trying to equate what a uh, Social Security dollar is worth because – Social Security, years ago, Social Security was not taxed at all. I forget when it started being taxed, but there is a, uh, it, it, uh, there is a depending on your income, it goes up in terms of the percentage that it is taxed. But the good thing is that 15% of it is never taxed. Otherwise, you can make as much money as you want to, and only 85% of Social Security is taxed. So therefore, a dollar of Social Security money is worth more than a dollar of reg- regular income because it's, not, it's, cause it's never always fully taxed. The other thing that's important is Social Security is tied to a COLA. There's a cost of living adjustment that is tied to a a price index where it goes up every year, which also makes it that much more important than, say, most pensions. Most pensions don't go up at all. A person retires and they start receiving X number of dollars with their pension, and 20, 25 years later, it's the same number of same number of dollars. Well, Social Security is not like that. It goes up. So it really makes those two things, taxation and the cost of living adjustment, really makes Social Security an important thing to make sure you get right when it comes to financial planning. And I know you talk about that a lot, and, and, we, and I think that's important. If you just tuned in, my guest is Ted Miner. He is a retirement income certified professional. Uh, you can talk to Ted if you'd like to at 901-757-5757. Just ask for Ted Miner. But here, Ted, you're talking about something everybody talks about Social Security. But you find that everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people don't understand it. I mean, it's they talk about it. It's at the church social. It's at the ball game. It's everywhere. But when it comes down to making the decision, it's all over the place. Well, you know, I live in that environment, and it's pretty complex. Yeah. Uh, the, 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 the rules, the laws, the things, they change. Uh, uh, it makes it very difficult to understand. And then you have someone that comes up and says, well, I've got a friend that's doing this. And then you dig into it, and the friend's got a, a whole set of circumstances that are very, very different. Their age is different. You know, you've got laws that apply to certain ages that go out of uh, 
uh, you know, people that people today that were born before 1954, they've got some special things that that they can do that people after 1954 can't do. So it becomes pretty difficult uh, for the average person, unless they're really reading up on a lot of the Social Security documents and stuff, to understand. The, all the possibilities that they can do with the selection of their Social Security benefits. Yeah, we're not saying that it's impossible, <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's good. It's not impossible. It's not, it's Almost. Not impossible. <laughs> Almost. But, all right, here's a question that we, we got from someone that I think is important. And you kind of mentioned it a while ago when you said a person's got a million-dollar Social Security, a million-dollar 401k plan. So I would consider that person very wealthy if they've got a million dollar Social Security, I mean, uh, excuse me, 401k plan. So the question says, I mean, what can a person receive their benefit from Social Security if they're considered wealthy? And and again, they didn't say a number, but let's just say we pick a number, a million dollars. Is that going to affect that Social Security payment? The only thing that affects a Social Security payment is if a person is taking their benefits before full retirement age, then their income, not not dividends and ta- uh, interest and things like that, but income for what they're they're working and receiving. So income. not 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 savings account no. or 401k, but income. That's correct. I mean, they they can be a multimillionaire and they have access to uh, to to uh, Social Security benefits, but income does have an impact on your benefits before your full retirement age. After full retirement age, even the income, you can make all the money you want to and it does not impact your uh, Social Security benefits. Okay, full retirement age. Talk about, I mean, you know, you, uh, you said that. Uh, that's right. And immediately I'm going, okay, I think I know what that is, but what is full I could even get called a FRA because <laughs> it's in a lot, a lot of documents. But full retirement age is different for everybody. But for the most people that are born today, uh, it's 67 for myself, they, there's even a period of time where they, they changed it every two months. I was born in 1956. My full retirement age is 66 and four months. Okay, if you were born in 57, it's 66 and six months. Prior to 1954, it was age 66. That's your full retirement age. Now, what that means, people think that means that you get, if you're full retirement age, and you're getting your maximum benefit. But it doesn't even mean, mean that because if you wait past your full retirement age, your benefit continues to increase all the way up to age 70 where it maxes out. All right. Is that increase, what's what's the amount of that increase? And you said up to age 70. So there's no reason not to take it after 70. That's correct. What's the amount that it increases? Well, if you're still working, it could impact the calculation. But if, you, if you're not working, you get what's called delayed retirement credits, which is 8%. It's pretty significant. Wow. 8% for Let's say go back to 66. That's four. That's 32 percent. 32 percent. I can do the math. You know, 32 <clears> percent. Excuse me. If you just tuned in, my guest Ted Miner. We're talking about facts that you need to know about Social Security, and we're answering some of your questions. Frequently asked questions. And if you want to ask a question, just send it to talkmoney at shoemakerfinancial.com. That's what this program is all about. Just answering some of those questions that you've asked about Social Security. We titled this program all about facts that you need to know. And if you want to listen to this program again, you can go to the podcast, go to Shoemaker Financials Podcast, go to Facebook, type in that, and you can simply do it that. Or you can just simply go to KWAM 990 at podcast.com, and you can watch, listen to it from that standpoint, too. So easy to do, not a problem. Here's the question. Divorced. You know, that happens. I hate it, but it happens. In fact, I just was counseling someone that had been married 32 years Mm. and going through a divorce. 
Um, is the spouse in this case, both of them were professionals, both of them worked, and I'm assuming that both, you help me with that. What's going to happen with a 30, is there a limit? Is there a, an age? Uh, is there a maximum amount of time? The question, am I going to get retirement benefits from Social Security from my divorced spouse? Okay, a couple things. Number one is the marriage has to have lasted for 10 years. If the marriage lasted for 10 years, then you have access to uh, spousal benefits if you have not married and if you're over the age of 62. Uh, there's, there is one uh, nuance in the system that actually gives preference to a divorce uh, spouse, and that is that if you're divorced, you do not have to coordinate your benefit, your spousal benefit, with your ex-husband ex, ex, uh, or wife. If you're married to get the spousal benefit, your spouse has to file for the benefit. If you're divorced, that's not the case. So it's just it just depends upon the fact that if you've been married for 10 years, if you're not married, and if you're over the age of 62, then you can get your spousal benefits. If, if you get it at 62 or before full retirement age, it is reduced, though. It is reduced. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's important to know. Can a spouse be, does a spouse have to be dependent upon the worker for support? No, that has nothing to do with it. They, the benefit is, uh, as a matter of fact, the, the spousal benefit uh, came into play years ago when a lot of women were not working. They were at home taking care of They were working. They were working at home. Yeah, but, at uh, home, yeah. They were at home. My wife took care of two daughters. And let me tell you, that's a full-time, very difficult job. And, and they were doing a lot, but the husband was She's out. She's still already back pay, by the way, just in case you wonder. That's <laughs> right. She says you owe her a lot. Yeah, I owe her a lot. But that benefit was put into place because, uh, from a record standpoint, a lot of the the women did not have a, a Social Security record, but they made it to where their spousal benefit is based upon their their spouses. And it could be vice versa, husband or wife. It doesn't make any difference. But whoever is working, uh, they also would help their spouse qualify for Medicare. If they qualify for Medicare and their spouse never worked, their spouse qualifies for Medicare just on the record of the working spouse. So Social Security benefits, you got the spousal benefit, even if they, they never worked a, uh, a day in their life in a job and got paid or paid into the Social Security system, they can qualify based on their working spouse's record and Medicare benefits the same way. A lot of information. I mean, that is, we prepared a, a PDF that you can go to the Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, and this PDF uh, that I'm talking about is called 59 and a half. Why is this age so important? Now, it's covering, it's got a whole section on Social Security, but it's really talking about retirement planning. The title of the PDF is 59 and a half. Why is this age so important? Simply go to Shoemaker Financial page, search for the document. It's in our post. If you would like to view it or if you want to make a copy of the, of the, of the, of the PDF, download the PDF and print it. We welcome you to get it. It's for you. So just get it. It's called 59 and a half. Why is this age so important? So Ted, Ted Miner, he is a retirement income certified professional. And Ted, that means you spend a lot of time talking to people about retirement and spending time helping them work through retirement. If you'd like to talk to Ted, just give him a call at 757-5757. He can answer your questions. And Ted, we're answering questions that have really come about as a result of people saying, what about this? What about this? And one of them is, I know that if I'm working, I have to pay taxes on my Social Security. I think that's what you said. Or I get that if I'm working, if I'm making an income. Over a certain limit. Over a certain limit. It's reduced, actually. 
That's right. You said it's a reduction. Now, interest and dividends from stocks and bonds and CDs, any type of what we might call it unearned income, is that going to cause my me to lose my uh, Social Security benefit? Is that going to, if I've got any type of what we'd call non-work income? No, it may affect the taxability of okay. your Social Security benefits, but in terms of the amount of your Social Security benefits, if you're taking it before full retirement age, the dividend uh, dividends or or stock uh, stock liquidation or whatever that does not come into play in terms of whether or not your benefit is reduced. Only only working capital, only work uh, income from income a job. Income from or a job, right? Or earned income versus passive income. Correct. We're talking about that. Okay, that's important to know. So, all right. Suppose someone retires earlier than age fifty five, fifty six, something mm-hmm. like that. And uh, they have no income for the next six, seven, eight, nine years. Got it? They, mm-hmm. I mean, they're blessed they did it. Is this going to affect their benefits at 62? Uh, yes. You know, Jim, there, that's, a, that's a good question. Uh, there's a lot of people that will go on to the website, and I would, I would uh, uh, suggest that most people that are looking at their benefits make sure they go to www.ssa, socialsecurityadministration.gov, and they can go on there and register, and they can pull down their, their personal benefits. And that's really a, that's an important document. That, and that document has more than just their, their benefits on it. It'll tell them what their benefit would be at age 62, their full retirement age, and at age 70. It also has on it their work record. Um, their work record is an important part of the calculation of their benefits. And when they're reading on that document, what their benefit is, and a lot of people really put a lot of stock in that number. So let's say they're reading that number and they say, wow, I've got $2,500 a month or $2,000 a month that I'm going to get. Uh, I think I'm going to go ahead and retire. Well, the calculation, the ultimate calculation that's made to, re- to calculate your benefit, they're going to take your top 35 indexed years of income. And I say indexed, that means that what you made in 1974, there's an index number. So if you made you know, eight thousand dollars. That may there there may be a four time multiplier to equate it to today's number. Okay, so that's a great point. A lot of people didn't. Re- I think I've had people to say, "Oh, I've got terrible years because yeah. I was a busboy," and they count that. No, they don't count. They if they do, they're it's indexing indexed. it. That's right. That's important. And to know. and there's you can download the the sheet that actually shows all those numbers. You can actually, if you went wanted to go to it, you can fill out your own Excel spreadsheet and do that if you want to. <laughs> I've done it one time, <laughs> one time only. Okay. That's why you could talk about. That's all right. this because you've done it one time. But uh, but those those numbers, uh, as you said, you know, as you continue to work, those numbers change. When they make the calculation, they're making two assumptions. They're making an assumption number one that the last year they have record of your income is the income you will make every year up until the year you take that benefit. So if you're looking at the benefit that says age 66, your full retirement age, and you're looking at that benefit at age 59, they have calculated that benefit assuming that you're going to make, if you made if you made $80,000 when you were 54 and filed your income taxes, that's where they get the information from, they're going to assume that you're going to make $80,000 when you're 55, 56, 57, 58, all the way up to 62 or 66. And, it, it, and the calculation for age 62 is done the same way. And it just says 80000 Just They just figured that in. Yeah, they do. And it, it, it says that. It's, it actually makes a statement that assuming that you your last recorded in, uh, income is made up until that point. Uh, so if you quit, if you stop early, then that doesn't occur. So they go back and they have to use 
the income that you've already produced, and that's on that data, and they're going to take your top 35. Now, if you haven't worked 35 years, then there's going to be zeros for the 35 years that you didn't work. And so it could impact that number drastically. If you've got 35 years of good work history, then it may not impact it at all. That's important to know, though. That's, That's a right. Calculation yeah. again. Go back to that cornerstone and that first part of a meeting with you. Social Security is a top topic. Yeah. They, see the back sheet. A lot of people don't even look at it. And and if I look at it, and I see a lot of work history. Then it, it it's not a big issue. But if I look at it and and say someone stayed at home with their children and they got into the workforce and they may have fifteen, they may have twenty good years. But uh, and and they're think about retiring early and they could work another 10 years, that would impact drastically their benefit because they've only got 20 years, and they could add another 10 years on it, and that would take away a lot of the zeros. That's a great point. That's a great point. Here's the question that a lot of people ask. I now know I'm going to retire. My spouse is two years younger. than Let's just use Linda and I, okay, my wife and I. So she's two years younger. I decide that I'm going to continue to work, but she turns fully eligible at 62 you know, she could she could start her Social Security, but she's going to wait to say whatever. But she starts hers. Is she penalized? Here's what I'm trying to get to. Here's the spousal benefit. And I'm not retired yet. Can she get does my spousal benefit? Well, because of your age, you Watch have a mouth. special. Watch your mouth. You're, you're in that <laughs> special category. So you actually and you know that you file that. Yeah. But for the normal person, uh, the the spouse cannot get the spousal benefit until the other spouse has filed for their benefits. That, that's a requirement today. Uh, now she could file for her personal benefits at 62, and of course they are, they are reduced. Um, and, but in terms of the spousal benefits, uh, spouses cannot, they have to coordinate that with the, the spouse. Has, the, the spouse that, that the benefit is coming from has to receive their benefits before the other spouse can get their spousal benefit. Complicated. Okay, now I I want to make sure that everybody understands. We're talking with Ted Miner. Ted Miner is a retirement income. He's a professional at that. He does nothing but that. He he talks about he's a retirement income certified professional. This is a test he had to sit down and take. He had to go for for a board to get all that done. He's he's a, he's here to help and give us some understanding just about Social Security. We have a PDF that if you'd like to get it, it's fifty nine. It's titled Fifty Nine and a Half. Why is this age important? All you have to do to get the PDF, as I mentioned earlier, just simply go to the Shoemaker Financial Facebook page, search for the document in our post, and you'll find it if you'd like to view it or if you'd like to print it. Just simply download it to the PDF status, and then you can print it. It's called 59 and a half. Why is this age important? If you want to talk to Ted, just simply call him at 901-757-5757. Ted, I, I think this is important. In fact, I know it is. Here we are. We've talked about all the nuances, and it's complicated. You're out 20 years after retirement. You're beginning your Social Security. Things are moving well. Everything's happening. And yet the spouse that the Social Security is the largest, my wife, you know, she was a homemaker. She's, she's a professional, does a lot of stuff, but she, she's a homemaker too. And so my Social Security is bigger. What's she entitled to at my death, and can she lose that? What she's entitled to is the highest between hers and yours at the time of your death. Now, if you're taking your benefit, that's an easy calculation. Whatever you're receiving is what she would receive. If you haven't taken your benefit yet, it depends on your age. If you die before full retirement age, she would receive 
your benefit at full retirement age. If you die after full retirement age, then then when you're when you continue to work and you don't take your benefits at full retirement age, you get those de- that de- what's called delayed retirement credits. That's at thirty two percent. That's eight percent a year. That's okay. what that's what it'll be over four years. Okay. So that's going up each year. Now let's say you lived till you were sixty eight. Your full retirement age was sixty six. Then then she would get the benefit that you would have gotten had you turned your benefits on at the time of your death. So it would have been, in that case, 16% higher than what it would have been at full retirement age. Now, the benefit is calculated based on her full retirement age. It's full. If she takes it before full retirement age, that benefit is reduced. But the good thing about survivor benefits is they can be coordinated with your personal benefits. I don't know if we got enough time really to go in this, but... Uh, well, no, we don't, but okay. i tell you what, we'll come back, because we've answered, I think, a lot of those questions. That one we probably should have dug into first, because it sounds to <laughs> me like it's very, very complicated. I so much appreciate your knowledge in this, too. He is a retirement income certified professional from the American College of Financial Services, Ted Miner. If you'd like to talk to Ted, give him a call at 901-757-5757. Thank you, Ted. Appreciate it, you being here. It man. was fun. Thank you, Jim. Well, you've been listening to KWAM, the mighty 990 FM 107.9 and AM 990. My guest, Rusty Leonard of Stewardship Partners and Ted Miner with Shoemaker Financial. If you have questions for Rusty, you can call him at 1-800-930-6949. And questions for Ted, as I said earlier, call him at 757-5757. That's area code 901. Go on to www.ssa.gov if you want to find out a little bit more about Social Security. To find today's programs on podcast or past programs, go to iTunes and search for Shoemaker Financial or listen by podcast at kwam990.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Just a reminder, if you want that PDF, 59 and a half, why is this age so important? Go to our financial page and search for Shoemaker Financial, and all you have to do is search for the document It's in our post, and you will be able to, of course, find it and look for it, and uh, it'll be there for you. So don't do that. That's that's easy to do. Don't don't delay. 59 and a half, why is this age so important? Next week, Nancy Crawford from the Better Business Bureau, fraud and COVID-19. Shannon Dyson from Shoemaker Financial. He's going to give us a 2020 health update. And David Rochester and Scott Jordan. Boy, we got a great subject, avoiding estate planning mistakes. Thanks for listening. We're here every week helping you make the most of your money. I'm Jim Shoemaker. This is Talk Money. Talk Money is produced by Greg Ratliff. Guest and content coordination, Francis Fortner. Production assistant, Eleanor Moskovitz. Compliance officer, Tommy Armstrong. Mid-South History Moment, Rebecca Brazier and Drew Johnson. We'll see you next week on Talk Money. This material represents an assessment of the market environment at a specific point in time and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information is not investment advice or a recommendation. Investments will fluctuate and when redeemed may be worth more or less than when originally invested. The S&P is an unmanaged index of 500 large cap stocks. Investors cannot invest in an index. Financial advisors do not provide specific tax or legal advice, and this information should not be considered as such. You should always consult your tax or legal advisor regarding your own specific tax or legal situation. Jim Shoemaker and Ted Miner are registered representatives and investment advisor representatives of Securian Financial Services, Inc., securities dealer. 
Member FNIRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor. Shoemaker Financial is independently owned and operated.